0: All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. I am your host, Alex DeBoard. Alongside me, as always, my main man, Nick Wilson, ready to kick it up and kick it down. We've got a star studded guest with us here tonight, and I cannot wait to get this one underway. We're getting ready to kick the tires and light the fires. Y'all pull up a chair and sit in a while. Nicholas, how are you tonight, my friend? Doing good, man. Doing good. A little soggy down here in Georgia. And... Well, as you said, it's a rainy night in Georgia, but it's a bright, sunshiny day in podcast
1: land. <laughs> I'm going to try to get this back to... verbatim it's... for what I said. Well, you know, we're in first October here. It's going to have to start cooling off some for this November we got planned out for us.
0: I'll tell you, the, uh, the deer season has not started the way that I wanted it to as far as the weather, but it's been great to get out in the woods. And as we've mentioned earlier on other shows, it's been a lot of fun to see i guess how we looked at deer season differently this year we're recording now we're trying to do some
1: filming and it's it's changed the whole aspect for us um we've got plenty of rain for our food plots i'll say that <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, need to get some, I need to get some
0: fertilizer on them they're all going to dry <laughs> up nick i want you to think back a little bit for me um where were you at in 1998
1: eight? Uh.
0: Ninety seventh grade something like that
1: I guess so. It caught me off guard there. Uh, well, I was,
0: uh, I was, I was in the fifth grade, 1998, uh, probably getting my start in in hunting in general. I'd started earlier on with dad squirrel hunting and everything else, but I was probably within a year or two of killing my first deer. And in 1998, uh, I guess there was another sequence of events that happened, and it, it kind of ties in with who's on the show with us tonight. This gentleman has, you know, been somebody that I grew up watching in the hunting industry. He's somebody that came to fruition through a series of events that I'm sure he's going to be more than welcome to explain to us tonight. And when I look back at the cast of characters over the years that I've watched in the hunting industry, this has been a guy that I've always thought was somebody I wanted to talk to and I would hope one day would have the opportunity to talk to. He's a father. He's a hunter. He's an outdoorsman. He's a charismatic guy that doesn't get the attention he deserves and I promise it's a pleasure and an honor to welcome tonight to talk about it outdoors, Mr. Rick Malick with Jury Outdoors.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Wow. I don't know how to even start after that, but I do feel a little aged, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, don't feel aged because it's the young spirit that's kept you driving forward with the show. You're ambitious and, and, tenastic attitude and everything that you've done that's been a positive
1: for it and that's been something that's been great to see
2: I really appreciate that buddy
1: Rick uh, let's let's start off a little bit how we always do you know take us back to when it first started for you very young age
2: well you know um, I live I still live in southwestern Pennsylvania've i lived here all my life and uh, you know growing up you know what's a little different in Pennsylvania you couldn't hunt until you were 12 years old um, legally and I think that's a travesty that that has since been you know something that has changed in the Pennsylvania world but um, you know also you had to hunt with a parent or guardian unfortunately my parents were divorced when I was very young and and so uh, quite honestly you know hunting's brought a lot of things to me you know in my life and, you know my dad had been out of my life for many years and called him out of the blue, the only way I could go hunting, you know, was with a parent and reconnected with my dad and got, got hunting with him. He, he was a a big outdoorsman and shooter. And uh, man, I just got ate up with it at a young age. And I've got to tell you, anybody would take me out, I'd follow him around whether I was hunting or not. And uh, really got my roots set down here in southwestern Pennsylvania and uh, just hunted everything I could under the sun, you know, growing up and until I started venturing out in the world.
0: Well, and when you started venturing out in the world, did it did it take away from your hunting at all, or was it something you always looked forward to doing?
2: No, I mean, you know, like so many of us, you know, I didn't have two nickels to rub together when I was young, and <laughs> and uh, you know, I, uh, you know, certainly hunting uh, helped me align with with the, the right people in life, you know, in the right path, and uh, and really surrounded me with people that you know that brought me in you know i i didn't have a lot then and and certainly you know prior to me getting into bow hunting you know i had friends that, that helped me come in and, and invited me to go and had equipment and got me started and and uh you know really they, they saved me in a lot of ways as a young kid and uh, surrounded me with the right people i say i have the best friends in life and i am where i am because of the outdoors and in those people because you know could have went down the wrong road for sure but, I, you know, I got ate up with it. And back in those days, you know, VHS hunting, you know, shows, I, I burned them up, guys. I There was a little sports shop in town, and i I get my mom to drive me out there, and I'd rent every one I can, and and I kept them beyond when I should have. And and uh, I just was a voracious learner, if you will. I You know, I, I lived vicariously through all those folks back in the day. Certainly the Drury's, you know, it, it is – is still today, you know, the, the group I looked up to from the beginning and, um, you know, I just lived vicariously until I could, you know, really get to a place where I could start getting out of state. You know, back in those days in Pennsylvania, you couldn't bow hunt the rut. Archery season opened up October one and it closed at the end of October and you were done till you could pick up a rifle the first Monday after Thanksgiving.
0: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. So I actually killed my first buck ever with a bow in West Virginia, you know, just cold ground and getting out there and figuring it out and and uh, really got ate up with bow hunting as i got you know into high school and, and you know into college but uh you know i was ate up with all this outdoor video stuff you know from the beginning do you think that
0: it'll date you if uh, we talk about late fees on return movies because i remember <laughs> paying some late fees a time or two <laughs> yeah
2: but I, I got watched them all, man. I'd go out there and I'd be so bummed out when there wasn't something new. And, you know, when I was like, all right, give me those last four. Actually, I did get into the conversations where they were like, boy, you better be bringing these ones back on time. because uh, uh, And they better work because I watched them 10, 12 times, you know, before I had to go take them back. But, you know, I, I was actually just not only at that time, I, I really was. Enamored with all the video production and all that went into producing those hunts, and it really struck a fire in me.
0: And I think it's funny to hear us and some of our other guests, and you talk about how we had to go and rent something to be able to watch it.
1: And that wasn't that long ago.
0: No, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, I'm, we're not talking 30, 40 years no. ago. We're literally talking, you know, in the last 15, 20 years, Ingles and Blockbusters and everything else. You mention a Blockbuster now, and <laughs> kids are like, well, what's that? What's well, a Blockbuster? And <laughs> yeah. for me, going into those those stores, and then you had the Walmarts that sold the DVDs, the hunting episodes. They sold, you know, Kmart and Whatever other store they had these there weren't DVDs they were VHS tapes and if you bought one you paid 30 40 bucks for it and you watched it till that joker was slapped wore out and the Jury team was always producing stuff of course real tree and monster bucks and everything that they did and it was always cool to see but it was almost a figment of something that would never happen as a kid for me I mean, and I know it was for you as well, growing up in North Georgia, we looked at those deer as something just out of this world, something we would never be able to obtain. And gosh, man, how, how times have changed. And we're running to Illinois and Ohio and Kentucky and Iowa and places to hunt that honestly, I never would have dreamed if I was, if you'd have told me in 1998 that I would be able to go and hunt those places, I'm going to keep saying 98, Rick, I'm going to have to keep bringing that one up. but for for us to come so far in the networking and our ability to travel, dude, it's an amazing experience
1: we've come up we came a long ways in just a short time doing this, like we keep talking about this is number <laughs> this I don't know what episode number
0: this is going to be seventy two seventy three and I never would have dreamed that it would it would come to the point where we were here tonight with Mr. Rick, but Rick. I want you to tell everyone – you, you kind of hinted at a little story that uh, that kind of piqued my interest earlier. In 1998, I want you to take me into the story and how you actually got involved with the juries and what was that phone call like when Mark or Terry or whoever it was that got you in contact. Just walk us through that experience because, for me, that's that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it's, it's surreal, guys, and, and to this day I still – you know, I pinch myself. You know, I'm not that guy that lives out in Missouri or Iowa or – you know kansas you know that owns thousands of acres and you know here's just a nobody from you know kid and you know i wasn't a kid then uh you know i was out of college obviously and starting my career you know but from southwestern pennsylvania and i as i said i always had that passion for the video production and i got kind of lucky and and i think it's not only about you and i talk about this alex about how you got started for in my case, with Drury Outdoors, but I think you have to talk about why. Yes, sir. You know, why did you want to do that, right? And so, um, because it's tough, you know, but I, uh, I had some friends, you know, that were hunting consultants, and uh, there was a guy back in the day that actually was from Pennsylvania that was a pioneer in the outdoor hunting video world, and his name was Wade Nolan, yeah, and uh, he did video series called the brown bear men and, and a lot of other stuff and he and another guy did a film school an outdoor film school up in michigan and my buddies knew i ate up with it and said hey you want to come up And it was a weekend deal and i said sure so i paid to go do it and had a heck of a weekend they, they really taught you how to you know produce a show and they had all the different equipment there and, and set up, and they were offering deals of, of how to get that equipment. And, you know, um, I just had an amazing time and I said, you know what, I, I'm going to get into trying doing this. And, you know, spent more than I ever should at that point in my life and bought, you know, and I always say this, buy the best equipment you can afford, right? Right. And, and I did, I bought the one of the original Canon XL1s and all the gear and you name it, right? And I get all that stuff back home, like a kid at Christmas and getting yelled at at the time, by, you know, my wife at the time. And I, I'm, you know, there I am with all that stuff. And I'm like, now what am I going to do? You know, so. <laughs>
0: now I got to you know, kill I, something. <laughs> I,
2: I just delved into really learning everything I could about the cameras, the equipment and being the best I could. And I just got out there, to start filming, you know, on my own. And, um, you know, it, this is not something that you could do successfully on your own, right? And I knew that, so I started to, you know, to film some hunts and, you know, just with friends. And um, I actually took a trip to Canada, on my first ever bear hunt. I self filmed. I shot two big black bears in northern Alberta, just produced them as a show. And I kind of got started doing some work on the early days with Scent lock through that that film school and went on a couple hunts filming with folks. But, you know, I got to a point where I said, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it at the top of the game or I'm not going to do it. Right. And I said, you know, I most respect it. There was a number of, you know, several groups out there that I said, it's top of game. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it then. And Drury obviously was at the top of list for me. I picked up the phone and called the Drury studios and the phone was busy. Oh wow! So I picked up the phone and I called Realtree trying to reach David Bland, and I, I left a message. Didn't get through to him, and I honestly, I, then I picked up the phone and called Primals, and same thing, didn't get through to anybody, and so I hung up. And I'm if I'm anything, I'm persistent, and I I started roto in the Jury Studio, and lo and behold, Mark Drury picked up the phone.
1: No kidding! Now, I'm
2: telling you. That wouldn't happen today. Right, right. You know, it did. And I just told Mark, hey, here's who I am. And I said, Man, I just would appreciate uh, understanding, you know, how I might, you know, get into this industry. Now I'm not looking to have it as a job. Be, you know, how do you become part of Drury Outdoors? And right. at that time it wasn't a very big team. And um, you know, I told him about the film school. He highly respected Wade Nolan. He asked me what kind of equipment I had. I told him, he said, that's the exact equipment we're using. You know, and we just had a, an amazing visit. Mark is and Terry and the whole family. They're just so down to earth. Uh, they're they're great people. And and you know, we had a great conversation. And and he was very honest with me. He said, you know, this isn't something you can do on your own. So you know, going to need to see how you evolve down that path. He said, but do you have anything you can share with us, what you're producing? And I said, well, and at that time I didn't have a lot, certainly no big white tails. And I said, what are you looking for? And by the grace of God, he, he said, you know, we're doing a video production for outdoor life. And, um, you know, if you do a subscription, you're going to get this video, but he said, well, we have a lot of Turkey and, and deer content. He goes, well, we don't have any big game. He said, you got any big game? I said, well, I just did an Alberta bear hunt up there, killed two big bears. He goes, really? He said, send it out. So then I'm like, oh, good Lord, how do I put this? <laughs> right? And so I did. I figured it all out. I put this VHS tape together, put it in the mail with a nice letter to him. I thought, I'll never hear <laughs> You know, and, and lo and behold, you know, about a week later, he called me. And uh, it was humbling. He said, there is no way you did that hunt on your own. I said, yes, I did, and I filmed everything, the trip, the travel, riding four-wheelers, and at that time, there were no point-of-view cameras, you know, none of that, and uh, I just filmed everything like it was a television show on my own, and uh, he said, I love it, He goes, what do you want for it, <laughs> and I said, you know I just threw a number out there and he said sure and I went dang it uh-huh. <laughs> you know so that kind of got my start you know to earning my way in and, and you know as I I actually had to hog tie one of my good buddies Greg Day to, you know to get him to start doing it with me and and he started leaning in on, on the filming part and we started doing some hunts together and you know sending them in and actually made some of the, the video content at that time and um, you know, we had progressed into DVDs, and and we were just kind of one of the newer teams, and we just worked hard, man, we just worked hard to, to earn our way in, but, you know, still to this day, you know, I always consider myself sort of the black sheep of the family, just, you know, living in living in southwestern Pennsylvania and hitting the road, trying to keep up with, you know, these guys that you've had on, like Greg and, and and a lot of these guys that are really knocking down big deer, but um, I've always just tried to be the best producer, but, you know, I've got, i I'm just, you know, like anything in life, you don't get anything that you don't go for or ask for. Right. And so, you know, that's kind of how I got through the door. And we, we actually did some really good work of producing some of the, on the DVD world. But when we progressed into outdoor television with our first ever show dream season, uh, television, you know, wasn't supposed to be on that show. And there was one of the guys, Brian Thompson up in, you know, up North in, in he Wisconsin. And he actually went on a trip uh, ironically to a place called Thompson falls, Montana, and fell out of a tree and got hurt pretty bad. So he couldn't do the show. And Mark picked up the phone one day and said, Hey, uh got this new TV show. How would you and Greg like to be a part of our first ever dream season television show? Wow. And I went, do you have any more stupid questions, (laughs) you know? And so that kind of started the the TV journey, but, you know, just, you know, that was the, how, you know, the, why for me was to try to, you know, just take it to the next level and be part of something and share those memories, you know, to have those memories for myself, my kids, my friends, you know, burn those into film and to, uh, you know, you know, really just create, you know, create, share those memories that, of all the experiences that I was getting to have and, and, uh, you know, with a broader audience, I guess.
1: Do you, Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask him if that Canon G one, was that the old boombox style?
2: Yeah, it was the XL one. It
1: was, it was a camera
2: that the GL one was actually the smaller one. Yeah, This was more of the the higher end production camera. You know, of course, back in those days, it was mini DV tapes, you know, that you were burning on those cameras. And, um, you know, that's what most folks in the industry were using at that time as sort of their top end camera.
1: So you start, you first started off, sorry, Alex, no, you no, first started ahead. off with a VHS, right?
2: Well, that's how the, the, the shows are being produced, right? Okay. Cameras themselves would. would they take were, them it was TV.
0: filmed on a DV tape, and it was just put out uh, as production on because nobody had a
1: DV tape player. Well,
2: we didn't move the DVDs, you know, at that point in time. It wasn't long after the DVDs were the main format of.
1: Gotcha. Okay. I was just going to kind of go into editing on that. How much? Yeah, that's why I was, that was. How much exactly different I was going. is that from that from then to now? I, which I know it's a lot, but.
2: Yeah, I think you know I big theme of all we're talking about is the technology and platforms in which we get to enjoy all this content you know i would say back the biggest challenge back in those days guys is you know we'd go on a hunt maybe for seven days or whatever say we're in wyoming you know and where those cameras are rolling before we even leave you know with all the prep and then all the travel and then every single day daylight till dark you may come home from one of those trips with you know, 15 plus tapes, Holy crap! uh, you know, of tapes. And then, you know, think about sending that all into the studio in St. Louis (laughs) and those guys trying to figure that all out. And that's just us, right? Imagine all those teams doing that and how all that content comes in. So, you know, we'd have to go through all that tape and log it, you know, from, from this time to this time, here's what this scene is and this time to this time and highlight, you know, where the kills are and where's, you know, all the stuff. Now I'm talking about hours and hours of work. And, uh, you know, obviously there's timelines to get that stuff in because there's deadlines to meet. And, you know, that goes in, you know back to saying, you know, why do you do this? You know, it's also a lot of work, you know, and you cut your hunting time down big time, but, You know, now as we are into the age, you know, where you're recording on digital media, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to log and get, get stuff in, but also too now with the new platforms and online, you know, formats, you know, we're having to do that very, very quickly so that we're able to share, you know, these hunts just near real, real time. So this
0: is, I guess the thought that comes to mind for me, what's always made you and. An attraction to the jury team. And I, I don't mean that in a in a way to, to sound derogatory or anything, <laughs> but it's always been you were the working man of the group. I mean, and, and not to take anything away from anyone else that was there, but even back in the beginning, you were the guy that was – you were the grinder. I mean, and, and you and I have had conversations about how much you traveled and how much you had to be – I think you said today you were the nomadic – a member of the jury team. And I think that's why a lot of people related to you because so many people in the South, especially, have to travel to the Midwest. They have to travel to, you know, faraway places from Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky even. Kentucky wasn't even on the map in the early two thousands. But they're traveling and they're they can relate to you in that aspect. And for a guy that wanted to get into it and that drive and that energy that you exuded, that was always the thing that attracted me because you were the guy that didn't seem like had it put in your lap. And, and I don't, and I'm not trying to take away from anyone else's that was born. I wish I was born on a farm in yeah. Iowa or Illinois, but we weren't. So we have to make the best of the situation and we don't hold that against anyone else. And neither of you, you've traveled and you save your time and there's something we've been repetitive in our conversations as of late and we say just go. Just go. People say I don't have the time to do it. Just go. I don't have the money to do it. Just go. Make a plan and put it together just like you did back in 1998 you wanted to you wanted to do something and you just went for it and that's that's to me the entrepreneurial spirit and I don't know that's what makes you so much relatable to to the common guys like us. I mean, that's what makes Rick Malik who he is.
2: No, well, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, so to kind of get at that question, you know, what attracted me to the Drury folks, you know, to, to be a part of that. It's, you know, they are a family, you know, and they always seem to want to teach. Right. You know, what they learned and share that in that manner and and more than anything to tell a story. Yep. Uh, You know, and I think that that it's about the memory to me. And yes, I am humbled to be a part of this team and this family and watch all of the amazing success and big deer or or animals that hit the ground. But it's really not about that. You know, it really is about all those memories that we're able to share, and it is truly a family, guys. When I tell you, um, I, I consider myself to this day, I'm just a down-to-earth, same as you kind of guy, right? Just working hard. I climbed that tree and climbed down with the same number of errors in my quiver. <laughs> Trust me, way more, or just as much as y'all do, right? And uh, but I love every single minute, still to this day of doing it. You know, I was in the we, we started out Ohio about a week ago and I got a new guy filming with me here and he's he's so fired up to be a part of it. And he looked at me, he goes, what are you, he goes, what do you think? And I said, man, this is my 45th year hunting. And man, I love every freaking minute of it. I love doing this, you know? And, uh, you know, and I have been, and I think I just have related, I, I've not been, you know, what i also respected, not only about Mark and Terry, you know, they're self-made. You know, nothing was given to those guys, right? That's right. And everything they've got, they've earned it. In in look, they've fallen down, they've got back up. You know, you know the farms that they own weren't given to them, guys. You know, they bought that first eighty. They they extended beyond measure. They've sacrificed in life, not building million dollar homes or buying flashy cars or what have you. They've sacrificed to have what they want. And I, I've related. To, I've been blessed to to. Um, You know, call many people in this industry friends and learn from them. And I have a lot of respect, people like Lee and Tiffany and and all those folks out there that started with nothing, right? And they've earned it, they've invested, and they've followed their dreams. You know, they've set those goals. You know, I never want, if you say you can't, I promise you, you can't. Yeah, right. that's
0: exactly, yeah,
1: that's that's exactly right.
2: You know, I didn't have two pennies to rub together. Rick, you're taking
1: all, you're taking my final question up. <laughs> <laughs> well, my
2: point is, you know, for me living here, you know, I have kids and family here and, you know, in Southwestern Pennsylvania and, and let's face it, my best opportunities were to hit the Midwest for big white tails. But more than anything, you know, I, my one of my philosophies in life is I never wanted to be you know, get into my, God, God willing, into my, you know, late years, 80s, 90s, and go, man, I wish I, I would have, right? Or now, I, I can't wait to do this. I always wanted to say, man, look at what we did. Yeah, right. And, and I think you know, that's
0: something that, that you can relate to a lot with what he just said, was to get into it while you can. And and me now, I, it's, If you wait too long and you wait for an opportunity to present itself, it's not going to happen. You have to make opportunities and put yourself in a position there. And I don't, I I love that.
2: My, you know, and and so what, the one nice thing about living in Southwestern Pennsylvania is I'm in Ohio in a blink. I'm in West Virginia in a blink, you know, so I started trying to get where I could just locally finding farms, ask, you know, asking permission, you know, eventually got into some leasing you know, and, but with the Drury team, you know, I did that for a number of years with good buddy Greg Day until, you know, he really didn't want to do it anymore. We made many trips across, you know, the country, but now, you know, I'm having a great time hunting with a number of my Drury team, my Drury family, mainly, you know, Dave Kramer out in Iowa right now, you know, I spent a lot of time in the Midwest with him and, you know, we're getting ready this weekend to head to Texas. We're going down to Mississippi later in the year. and he just has so much passion for what we do and, and a mind for thinking about how to do it at the top of the game. And, you know, I just love being around people like that. So yep. I hit the road and I want to continue to do that, you know, whether I I'm with the Drury family or not, because, you know, there's so much out there to experience.
1: Was it just family and fr- friends, I guess, that held you back from moving out to the Midwest?
2: Yeah. I mean, career too, right. You know, yeah. once those roots get, get in the ground, you know, it, and especially at the time I was married, you know. So when you have two careers, right? Who's more more important? Um, so it, it's been family and career that, that have kept me here, but it hasn't kept me here, right? I right. just don't live out there, and and that was that's what makes it a very challenging for me, right? I don't have a whole season to try to kill a deer in Iowa. I drew that coveted Iowa bow tag this year. I'm I'm fired up about it, but you know when it comes down to it, I'm probably gonna have about four or five days. To make that happen you know so i mean that's where i am in life right now but i have new goals right as i move forward and you know that is to own my own ground and that's my next sort of step in life and something i wish i would have done earlier but you know now it's my new goal and i'm going to find out
1: where and how i can do that and get started is that your first time drawing that tag for iowa no
2: i've been blessed to draw it a number of times but you know i i don't have i'm hunting with dave kramer and on his farm as well as we have a lease there sort of just east of cedar rapids so it's it's more sort of central eastern iowa not like that coveted southern ground but you know it takes me a good three years to draw that Go take you four or five down south as a non-resident with a bow yep uh, but i've had it you know probably four times
1: the reason i asked that is is if if, if someone were to draw that, would you recommend them to go to public ground and hunt or try to go to a paid place if they don't know anything about the state?
2: You know, the first thing I would say, and I've, I spent a lot of time, you know, even before my dreary days, and I've, I've made a lot of mistakes and I've learned a lot in finding the right, certainly outfitters or places to hunt. I say, if you're going to start hunting Iowa... You know, look, you're not going to draw for a few years, so take the time to invest in, you know, whether that's if you're going to hunt public ground, then really research it, and you know, get out there if you can, and and run it down. Now that with the world of social media, come on, I mean, you can reach out and learn a lot. There's a lot of groups and forums that you can, you know, learn a lot before you even step foot in a state, and uh, and if you are going to go with an outfitter, take your time, really research and, and determine who you know, who to really put your chips and dollars down with. And, um, you know, I would say if you're going to draw that tag every few, you know, three, four, five years, you know, and out, hunting with an outfitter is really going to, I think, give you the highest level of success to walk on ground that, you know, big deer are there and they're putting the time in to put you in a place to try to get one. Uh, I take nothing away. I have high respect for those folks, you know, that are continually to hunt public ground. That's how I started you know, and, uh, you know, but I think your higher success is going to be whether you can get permission on private, you know, or maybe lease some ground. Now it's hard to do that in Iowa and where you're not going to hunt up in four or five years. So I, I really think in that scenario for Iowa, it's good if you can afford it, you know, to go ahead with an outfitter and you've got several years to save and prepare.
0: Yeah. And that's funny to, to hear that scenario. I appreciate you asking that question. Cause that's, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> People are going to want to know, but I was approached with an opportunity to, to lease a piece of property in Iowa, uh, a guy that we go up for the shotgun season, and we party hunt with some guys, and he uh, he called me, he said, hey, I know you want to come up bow hunting, and I've got an opportunity to lease this piece of ground, are you interested in it? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I think that'd be cool as could be to, you know, have a piece of ground that we could have our own, and uh, I said, but I'm probably going to be at least four years in the in the southeastern zone to draw, and I said, I've got enough points right now, but I'm kind of waiting. I don't want to, I don't want to put in for it until dad and uncle Wiburn can't go anymore. And, um, he said, well, he said, I'll, I'll get some pricing up on it. And I said, okay. And it was, uh, it was 75 acres and uh, it was going to cost us $9,000 to lease 75 acres. And I was like, nah, I was like, I'm going to be out on that. Cause I'm going to be, uh, about $40,000 in before I'm actually able to hunt it, you know, and, he was like, "Well, we'll split it in half," and I'm like, "Well, that's twenty thousand dollars." I said, "I'm not paying that kind of money to go and lease a piece of ground." And it's, I guess, it's all about how you how you play your cards. And Iowa, uh, Illinois, Ohio, all these places have so many opportunities for great public ground, and they have an opportunity for people to go and hunt. And you can go and kill a great deer. I mean, it's been proven time and time again in these states but you're going to have to work for it. It's, yeah. it's
1: with anything. So you're going to have to put your chips in and I was really asking him that question for myself. So, <laughs> but uh, but I, I've kind of, I kind of already been thinking about, maybe I'll just try to draw a couple of them, uh, Turkey tags in Iowa and yeah. do my, do my scouting during Turkey. season. Yeah. that's
2: <laughs> but, exactly what I was just going to say to you that I've done. And, and it's, um, it's an expensive and long resident <laughs> tag. I'll tell you, it's a, like a $260 tag, but, um, but uh, you know, honestly, the same. I hear the same thing. Well, why are you leasing ground, and I? You know, you're not going to hunt about once every four years. But I'm investing in the future, and I'm not spending that kind of money because that kind of money could get you top-end outfitted hunts where you could. Yeah, that's hunt right. Yep. Your biggest, largest deer. So You got to be smart with what you're doing. But I take the time to go out there in the spring. Dave and I wear our boots out, running down those long beards, and just learning <laughs> the ground. And and uh, you know, I think. That's something, especially if you're going to do the the public ground uh, approach. well, I'd be wearing it out in the spring out there.
1: You have more fun videoing the turkeys or or the deer?
2: <laughs> I knew I was going to get a turkey versus deer.
0: <laughs> Here we go. Here we I ain't got. We're <laughs> thirty minutes story. in.
2: <laughs> when I tell you about my passion, it is authentic, and and that is, you know, it's not one versus the other for me because I truly am that guy that love. I've I thank the Lord I get to climb that tree every day. And when I climb down that, you know, I had the chance to do it. And that last day sitting on the tailgate, when bow season's over for Ohio, that's early February, you know, we're ending those late season hunts. And I, I am depressed when it's done, but man, I'm fired up when Turkey season gets here. And I, I the same thing. I, I hate when I can't go out that next day, you know, and listen to that gobble. So, um, you know, I will tell you, I, I love both. I mean, I think filming, you know, I've been doing this now for what, 23 years with, with the Drury crew. And it is unique, right. Because it's not, you know, outside of like a Mark and a Terry, you know, and a couple other guys that are, you know, really, you know, built this approach you know, don't have a full-time cameraman. Right. So I was a guy that had to be a passionate hunter And really making sure that I was ready to draw that bow or gun or what have you and be prepared to have to also being at the top of a game of videoing and, you know, and really, you know, technology is changing almost daily and being able to ensure that, you know, in, in our world, the cameraman rules everything, right? They call the shots, the setup has to be for the cameraman because that's what we're doing, right? Cameras save more animals than anything. But, you know, I love doing them both. I think, you know, it's so, I can't describe it when you're in a tree and you've spent so much time and Dave Kramer and I talk about this, you know, we'll look at each other and it's below zero and we're sitting out there daylight to dark. And I look at him and like, man, I love this. He gives me too. You know, <laughs> and when it all comes together and you really lay it all down and you you get to see all of those hours of filming that you've done, whether it's a deer or a turkey, you know, but for the deer, it just seems the more, you know, there's more effort that goes into really putting a big deer like that on the ground and producing what is a top-end television show, right? We're not filming kills. Anyone go out there and spend a few grand on a camera and, and film kills. You know, we're producing what we hope is, you know, the top end, you know, television show. And now, you know, going into online formats that that people are going to enjoy watching. And it's a lot of work. You know, I do love sort of the run and gun aspect of turkey hunting, not having to, you know, be all set free. And, you know, it's a little more laid back. and. But I love the camaraderie of both. But there's nothing like getting back to camp and putting that footage up on TV and you nailed it as a cameraman. You know, you laid it all down, you got it, and um, and you've got some really cool stuff that you produced. I mean, I really still to this day enjoy it. Trust me, there's days when I'm out there filming going, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or you miss something or you call a guy off a deer that, you know, he's waited all season to shoot and you can't get it. And, you know, things like that make you go, why am I doing this sometimes? But, you know, at the end of the day, when it all comes together and you see it out there on Drury Outdoors, you know, I'm really proud of it.
1: Have you been fortunate enough to go turkey hunt with Mark or Terry yet?
2: Yeah, so I have actually. Yeah. Um it was I was still humbled to this day. You know, that ground Mark's ground, Terry's ground, it, it's coveted, right? You know, um you see a lot of folks like, you know, the old Gary LeVox or you know, one of those guys rolling in and getting an opportunity to hunt that ground for whitetails tails and and uh, but I have had the chance on two occasions to Turkey hunt with Mark and Terry, um, in Iowa on Mark's farms. And the first year I got to do that, you know, he invited me out. I was was just floored. And, you know, I just, he is in my mind, one of the top Turkey hunters, Turkey callers, you know, and I wasn't even going to bring a call, you Uh know, but actually it was the only tag available was a muzzleloader tag. So I actually killed my first, um, iowa turkey with mark on his farm with a muzzle loader with a guy by the name of tad brown i don't know if you know tad he's a kind of a pioneer in the industry and you take California. that flintlock no it wasn't <laughs> a on that. but uh you know but anyways yeah I, I got a chance you know mark called a bird in for me and we killed that and then i ran down and film tad kill a bird and the next day mark goes all right you're gonna film me and i went what wait what <laughs> you wow. know i actually filmed mark kill kill a bird it was a great trip and they invited me out the next year and uh, we got to do it again with another group in, in camp and it's something i'll you know i'll cherish forever I'll, I'll never forget that second trip when he and terry were i'd seen some birds coming they dove down and they start calling and mark looked back and he's telling me start calling I'm well, like, call for, what? Uh, well most, read, you know, most
1: people don't even call. know that mark that's how mark got his start you know and right. being a caller that he was you do Is most people <laughs> think that mark is um, you know as big as in deer hunting it is now people forget about turkey hunting but that mark. goes by all the way back to his moss yoke stuff too i mean that's why he's vested with those guys also
2: yeah, that that partnership and relationship was really from day one and still, you know, our our strongest relationship and partnership we have and always will be. But the, yeah, he did. He got his start in competition calling and you know, getting out there on the road in the outdoor industry, selling for different groups and until he started mad calls and really grew from there. Yeah. If we ever get Mark Drury on, I am laying
0: underneath this table and not speaking a word. I'm gonna <laughs> open it up. And I'm just gonna let you have the table because there won't be no room for old Alex and his deer hunting bullcrap. It's gonna be all Nick and his turkey. We talk. might let
1: you get five or ten. I
0: minutes. ain't even I gonna try. All I'm gonna do is just I'm just gonna lay back. We can take his deer off the wall. You can hang your fan up right. I tell behind you what, you. I'll make a
1: deal with you. We get Mark on. We will get him on in the spring and in the fall. Uh,
2: well, I could get on with that. I could get on board with that. He, or you he know, has the most amazing human uh i mean the guy is an absolute white big white tail killing machine he is a mad scientist he he works so hard but let me tell you right now when spring comes around buddy there's nothing more that guy would rather do and he's out there every day and
0: i think that's been the the biggest draw for the jury name it's not the deer it's not the turkey it's not whatever they're doing. It's the story behind it all. And Mark and Terry have done such a great job, and we've talked about it with, with multiple guys that we've had from your team, and you've made mention of it tonight. They tell a different story. And for us to be able to uh, hear the, the the other sides of it as it grows, I can only hope one day that, you know, we've, we've got – we're, we're stepping up the ladder each time, and we're going back through the senior members, and Greg and Sean, they're newer to the team. Then you got the story that comes in from Matt, and now we've got the old road dog himself, Rick Malakon, <laughs> and now we we inch up, and one day we'll, we'll hopefully be able to speak with them, but I want to know from you, Rick, going back even further than the jury days, take us back to those days in hunting in Pennsylvania, because you and I have had some conversations that and we've had them with other people, Georgia and Pennsylvania aren't that far apart when it comes to the quality of, I don't want to say quality of deer, yeah. because I don't want to anyone to ever think that that you can't kill big deer in Georgia or Pennsylvania. They're here, but by God, they're hard to hunt, and you better be good at what you do if you're going to get them on the ground. But I want to go back to those early days, and and I know Nick made mention earlier that We want to hear about that flintlock. We want to know about that because that's crazy to me to think that there's just a season for that.
2: Well, you know, I think um, growing up in in southwestern Pennsylvania, first of all, just such a deep-rooted hunting culture, you know, when I was a kid. And, um, you know, at that time, I don't know what the numbers are now, but there was over 1.5 million hunters that hit the woods on the first day of, of Pennsylvania rifle season started the first Monday after Thanksgiving around two weeks, um, except Sundays, which we still cannot, you know, hunt on Sundays, except now for a couple days during the year, uh, still something we're, we're working hard on here, but, um, and then it would close. And then you actually had to draw an antlerless tag, you know, and you had typically two days, sometimes three, to use your antlerless tag and they were county specific at the time. So, uh, and and as I said, it was a, it, it was still is a 1 buck state and uh, so yeah, a lot of fo- a lot of hunting pressure here, yeah. but a lot of tradition, right? Especially in the mountains of Pennsylvania, still, you know, there's hunting camps everywhere, you know, to this day the camaraderie of hunting camps and that tradition still burns strongly and I, you know, I've been proud to be a part of that. But you know, let me tell you that There are today, you know, 180, 190 inch deer getting killed in Pennsylvania. There's been a lot of changes on the management front and, you know, point restrictions and and managing the herds better, moving to wildlife management units in Pennsylvania has come a long way um, around quality deer management because the genetics are here. A lot of those deer are getting killed in suburban areas and uh, hats off to those guys that are road, you know, climbing trees, looking in windows, whatever. But, you know, they're putting down some big deer. Same way um, with
0: Georgia. I mean, it's crazy. That deer, that. There's
2: also those guys, you know, in a lot of these farms, especially where I live, they're small farms, right? And they're not in production anymore. You get more in the central part of the state or over in the east, you know, you got the big cornfields and soybeans and, and whatnot. But where, where I grew up, that wasn't the case. Now, I, I grew up hunting mainly a lot of, uh, you know, especially deer on public ground, you know, game lands and, Going in there, you can't, you know, couldn't put up permanent stands or anything. But, you know, back in them days, everybody will tell you, little, I'm not a heights guy, you know, so I couldn't even get in a tree when I was that age. But, you know, growing up, I was rifle hunting, standing on the ground, you know, with the pumpkin head, you know, army out there and, you know, cut my teeth just climbing the hills of southwestern Pennsylvania. And, uh, But, yes, you bring up flintlock and and there is still. You know the muzzle loading. You know the main muzzle loading season after Christmas is a flintlock season. Flintlock only. uh,
0: You cannot use a uh, trad. You have you can't modern
2: rifle. I haven't hunted. I'll tell you, I haven't hunted Pennsylvania for about six or seven years. So laws have changed, and I think there is an inline. You know, way you can hunt now, but there that flintlock season is still in place, and that's for Uh, that's for three
1: weeks, correct.
2: It, yeah, it's an extended late season cause you can bow hunt and you can, you know, the, the flintlock season is in, but, uh, it's a different world, buddy, you know, it, with that, you know, putting the powder in the pan and, you know, let me tell you, I've done it a few times. I got one <laughs> in the case back there, but, uh, hasn't been out in, in a couple Ex- decades.
1: Explain a little bit about the difference between the flintlock versus a muzzleloader. Cause some of our listeners don't know right. what the flintlock is.
2: Right. I mean, you go back. I mean, it's the original platform, if you will, for those muzzle loading guns. You know, it, you, you've got, uh, you know, down the barrel, you're putting, you know, your powder and your patch and a ball. And, uh, you know, you're not using, you know, the saboted, you know, bullets. You know, it, it, when I was doing it, it was a ball and a patch, right? And
0: no Pyrodex. It's, it's pure powder. You're pouring black straight powder. powder. Yep,
2: black, black powder. powder. And, and then, you know, you have, you know, your ignition system is a small little pan that you're putting a fine powder in, right? And you close your, I guess it's, I think it's called the frizzen, mm-hmm. And then you actually have on your hammer a piece of flint. And you've got to, you know, get that gun just right and and keep it clean and um, ensuring that you get that spark. But, you know, when you get that shot, basically you pull that trigger that, that flint strikes the, you know, that steel creates a spark that ignites that powder that goes through a hole that then ignites the powder in your barrel. So let me tell you, if there's one word that you better be good at. It's follow through. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's it's basically
1: two explosions, right? Yeah, one mean, in that, your face. Boom! boom you right? got a flat. You got a flash, and then you got so the, the different So the difference for everyone that's listening is a modern day. Um, muzzle loader has a primer cap yeah and that primer cap is almost just like a rifle it just sends that spark to that black powder or this the flint sends a spark to the powder then therefore it goes into the barrel so you got an explosion right in your face and then inside the barrel yeah it burns it yeah. it's a and flash and it really, and then then it then really it, takes about i mean i'm sure it's less than a second but it seems like it's probably a 30 seconds
2: yeah. I mean, you, you can do it wrong. A lot of folks will pack that powder in, in the, the hole between, you know, your flash pan and, and the barrel and it burns slower. It's, is a, there's really a process. I'm not an expert, you know, but it can have a delayed reaction. Now, if you do it all right, it is pretty quick. Um, but it, let me, it's not instant, you know, it's so surreal. I, you know, Traditions is a good partner of ours and I got one of the new nitro fire guns and I haven't shot it yet, but I, you know, I got it all set up, and I, I was putting it in the gun safe, and I, I literally put it beside that flintlock, and I'm like, goodness, man, where? Look at how it's, you know, progressed now with the fire sticks, with the primer and, you know, it, you know, shooting four or 500 yards with these things, you know, back with these flintlocks, buddy, you knocked one over at 75 yards, buddy, you were driving that thing around and you were telling that story for a long time.
0: <laughs> was it a, what caliber was it? And, and I got a 50. So
2: They're was either 45s or 50s, there's a 54, but I, you know, I've got one of the, the 50 caliber. So you've, rifles.
1: you've taken deer with it.
2: No, really? No. no? <laughs> well, <laughs> hey,
1: there's a video, Dod. <laughs> yeah, that could be. Oh man, that,
2: that's
0: what y'all need to do. We should have brought that up. With you should have thought about my this.
2: Gosh, don't tell Mark that.
0: Oh, right, right, yeah. we got to tell Mark that you've got to have a flintlock challenge with the Drury team. And we're hey, we want to come hunting with you. Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> yeah. just want to watch. Yeah. I just want to watch the explosion happen because I've got a 58 caliber smoothbore. That's, uh, it's an 1864, uh, reproduction that we use in civil War enactments. And I've wanted to kill a deer with that thing so bad. And that's, it is, it does have a cap on it and primer caps were around during that time. You're taking it all the way back to, you know, early to late 1800s or excuse me, early 1800s, late 1700s with the flintlock system. And man, I tell you what, after watching everybody shoot those things, I'm scared to death. <laughs>
2: It is just. I it, can see Rick
1: dropping a one forty on there with that flintlock. What do you think? If if I <laughs> hey, you you, you got to do that show. Take I'd it. Hang
2: take it up if I did that. man. <laughs> <laughs> no better than that. Take it's, it to uh, Texas so, with you. You
0: said you was going to Texas soon. Take that flintlock. I
2: tell you, once I got that bow in my hand, I got to tell you, I love. I grew up rifle hunting and uh, in love. Love it to this day. My, I got, a, you know, tons of rifles and love to shoot them. But, man, once I really got ate up with bow hunting, it, I just never looked back. I, If I could take it with a bow, I'd rather do that myself personally. That's just – in the fact, you know, obviously we're in our, like, 14th season of Bow Madness now, you know, and so that's just my focus.
0: It's the same way with us. I mean, we both grew up just it, – it's it's crazy to me. To think about the difference in location of Georgia and Pennsylvania, and we've had several guys that grew up in Pennsylvania or in that general area that talk about how pressed they are in rifle season when you're young. And when we were growing up, rifles was you got your .30-30, your thirty-five, or you you know you shotgun out, and that's what we hunted with. And we were really probably teenagers before we got into bow hunting because they didn't build a bow for a kid back then. I mean, they built these big, small cam. You couldn't hardly pull them back. And that was your dream to try to get to that bow. But we used a rifle. And once we picked up our bows, we'll hunt into bow season. Georgia opens for rifle season in a week and a half. And it runs until the end of January, or excuse me, january 15th with a rifle mm-hmm. we've got three and a half months that we've got to contend with rifle hunters and i'll be honest with you i probably won't pick a rifle up at all
1: if you don't hunt a suburban area though with a bow your chances if you go down below atlanta or anything like that your chances with the bowers probably slim to none unless you have a big piece of property with no pressure because they like you said that the orange mafia gets out there and it's hammered down
0: but it's yeah. changed, and I'm sure it has for you guys in Pennsylvania. And though. I do
1: think the TV shows and the, the social media has changed people from just shooting whatever. I still think people shoot meat for the freezer, but I don't think they're just out there just killing everything like they were when we were growing oh, up. Oh, when we was
0: growing up, if it came through <laughs> and it was a it was an antlered buck on a, a non doe day, buddy, it was getting hammered. If it was brown
1: above the hairline, it see, was we, shot. With you saying that, see, we still do a lot of stuff like you're talking about in Georgia. We still have a lot of counties that – only open certain days for certain... You can only shoot a doe on certain days. Right. Or you you have point restrictions. And, and some people don't realize that from the Midwest. like it's, it's just wide open for them. I mean, they'd be able to kill two bucks. But like in Georgia, your first buck can be anything. Your second buck has to be, what, four on one side?
0: Now it's uh, either... Uh, it has to have a, a 15 inch spread or four on one side. So it could be a narrow rack, but they changed it this year. That was part of the new changes because people were complaining about not being able to shoot a giant six pointer. Cause it didn't have four on one side. Now it's got to have a 15 inch spread or four on one side.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've also been one, I love shooting that bow. Right. And, you know, especially when I'm on a trip, you know, um, you know, I, I try to take the best mature deer and, and really, you know, I feel an obligation, you know, to the Drury team. But, look, I'm going to shoot what makes me happy, and I always will. That's you know, right. I'm, you know, I, you know, yeah, if I had an opportunity, you know, on my high lease and I knew I had a big giant deer, I, I have committed my season and not hunted or not shot a deer because I know I can be there more frequently. But I, when I go to Texas, you know, I'm going to roll in on Saturday. I got come home, you know, on Thursday. When I go to Iowa, you know, that's the other thing. You start filming with somebody, cut your hunting time typically in half, right? Because we're hunting as a team. I'm going to hunt today. You're going to hunt tomorrow. Now, if you're lucky, one of you tags out early and, you know, you got a cameraman for the rest of the trip. It doesn't always work out that way, you know? So my Iowa tag, it's coveted, right? But I realistically may only get six to eight days to hunt, you know, in Iowa in in this year. So I'm going to try to take the best deer I can. And, uh, enjoy the hunt because again, you know, I, I'd love to be that Greg Gleshing here, you know, knocking down in few hundreds every year, but Greg, you know, Greg's invested in his own ground and he's got a lot of time to spend doing it. And, you know, I, man, my hat's off. I love, I learn, I try to learn everything I can from those guys, but man, I'm going to get out there and, and enjoy it. And I'm going to shoot everything I can legally. And
0: I, <laughs> and that's the thing that we've always tried to push with, with what we do is, by any legal means, if you're hunting with a bow, hats off to you. I love bow hunting. That's my passion. If you have to hunt with a crossbow, go hunt with a crossbow. If you
2: don't have to, if you want to. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And That's if you choose matters. to, and it, whatever you choose to do, as long as you're going out and you're doing it with a legal means and you're taking an animal, as long as it's legal to do, go out and do it. And in, in, Because there's people out there that don't want to go bow hunting because I, you know, I I don't have the time to practice with it and become proficient or I don't have the ability to do that. And that for me has been, it makes me so mad and I won't get on a tangent, so calm down, but (laughs) it makes me so mad when someone bashes somebody for hunting with a crossbow. And I'm like, really, you're battling yourself. There's Two thirds of the population hate us already and now you're gonna hate somebody that's on the same team as you. If you get if you can legally hunt with a crossbow, go do it. Be safe, be careful, get back home to your family, but do what you want to do and chase it however you want to and I'll quit. I'll stop. <laughs> don't get me. Don't get on, on a, <laughs> I won't get on a tangent. <laughs> I'm with you. But I watch you, you and I love the the concept that Hunting TV has changed, and and the jury's do an amazing job with it. But somebody that does a a great job with it as well is is Greg Ritz. Greg will grab his crossbow and go out and hunt with that thing in a heartbeat. Greg can drop a mule deer at 70, 80 yards with his bow, but he's going to go back to to Illinois or Iowa or wherever he can hunt with that crossbow, and he's going to shoot it just the same. And I think that that makes people confident in the ability – to be able to go and do whatever they want to do, as long as it's legal.
2: You know, you bring up a good point, Alex. And and you know, being a part of Bow Madness, you know, I've kind of, I've got rails around me, right? right. You know, and right. and got a responsibility now with Matthew's amazing company, right? And Matthew's Bow Madness, you know, I'm, I need to be hunting with mm-hmm. the bow, you know, in my hand, and that that really has actually kept me from actually doing some gun hunting. You know, right. I am right. to doing some of that and in the but man i was with the new partnership i got one of the new you know mission sub one xr and and i i've never uh shot any anything with a crossbow right boys let me tell you i'm gonna (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait you know it's fun it It is a lot of fun and it's legal and let's go you know we've got enough people and organizations you know, trying to break down everything we love, or the last thing we need is to have those kind of conversations amongst ourselves. So
0: well I was a passionate bow hunter and always have been. And last year I changed it up and went to a crossbow and it was this guy sitting right here that that really pushed me to get back out there. I had an injury. I had to get back out. I wanted to hunt and I was thinking, well I ain't gonna be able to bow hunt and That didn't stop me because of guy's like my best old buddy over here and my other one, Cody, you know, telling me, you got to go. You got to go. If it's legal, let's drive it, let's do it. And I killed a great buck last year with a crossbow. He's mounted on my wall. Do I think any less of that deer because I killed it with a crossbow? Absolutely not. I have no druther whatsoever. But I'm back bow hunting now, and I'm happy for it. But it gave me a little taste of, you know, people will comment on things especially social media they say oh you killed it with a crossbow it's not the same why isn't it you know why why isn't it the same he put the work in to go out and hunt for that deer and you don't know the backstory behind it that person may have been in a bad accident they may not be capable of hunting with it anymore your dad hunts with a crossbow he does and it it,
1: it kind of broke my heart man he came up to my house last year and brought his compound and he bought a crossbow a couple years ago and we were shooting out in the at the house one day, and he brought his compound up here. He's like, "I'm going to shoot some with it." He couldn't pull it back. Yeah, and uh, I was like, "Man, that's that's tough." But I'm glad he's got. The, I'm glad crossbows are. He's able to go hunt with us. So yeah,
2: it, it has allowed you know people that that are either challenged or just new to the sport. Yeah. You know, women, kids, um, for sure. And to me, there's nothing good. Again, it's not a if it's legal. You did, in my mind, you did kill a deer. With a right. You know, you did. That's you right. shot That's an arrow and you took a deer. You know, I've had, you know, I try to stay in shape and, you know, but I've had multiple sh- shoulder surgeries and, you know, and I've had to drop my, my draw weight on my vertical bow and, and whatnot. But, man, I'd have no issue grabbing that crossbow and getting out there. And it, to me is why wouldn't, right? Because if it allows me to get out there for another day, Buddy, I I don't care what it is. Well, last year,
0: getting a crossbow opened the door for something I never would have dreamed it would. And my dad hasn't bow hunted since I was probably 16, 17 years old. And I'd got into bow hunting, and he just didn't care anything about it. But opening day last year, me and dad went to the stand together for the first time. Now, I'm 35, so I would have been 34 last year. The last time we sat in a stand together, other than on a trip somewhere in Georgia, was I was probably in my teens we went opening day and I said all right you're shooting handed him the handed in the bow and uh a doe comes in right after daylight and I mean he hammers a doe and everybody's like well it's just a doe no it's not just a doe it was an opportunity and a moment for us to like we say mount a memory together and you know that crossbow gave me more than I could have ever dreamed it would and We'll get I'll get off that now. I'm sorry. I'll, well, I'm, yeah. a, I'm gonna get on something we always
1: talk about real quick. And uh I had a I had a phone call from uh, some listeners this weekend that listen to our podcast, and um they have a good friend of theirs that's battling target panic. Well, I know we've brought it up on several episodes. We even talked to T-Bone about it. Yeah. Um Rick, I know you battled target panic. What got you over that hump? What helped you the most? Yeah,
2: that's a good question. You know, and I don't know that you ever get over it. Right. Because I think everybody to some extent um, will battle some form of target panic. And, um, you know, I've shot bows, you know, for decades now and I shot competitively, um, you know, for many years in in the 3D, you know, competitive world. And, um, you know, over the years, I've battled it in different ways. But, um, you know, just in the past couple of years, I really started to notice, you know, you know that it was getting worse and and so I did um you know, I think it's more of a mental thing, but I always you know thought too, you know I was trying new technologies, new equipment, there are a number of releases that that really help you through punching that release, you know true fire, the new through fire release was one. you know, I spent some time this this summer with um the true fire synapse you know back tension thumb release and uh, just a lot of time visualizing the shot from close distances. Um, you know, I'm older now, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, I'm approaching 58 and uh, you know, my eyes aren't as good. So I was having, some, you know, I, I, I changed up some, some things, putting a, a, I guess it's a verifier in my peep. So I see my pins much better that way. Um, and I just got down into that mental game of aiming, squeezing and following through. And, and I'll tell you that I had a lot of days outside. I shoot every day, I, you know, that I can. And um, if I got off to a bad start, you know, I'd hang it back up that day, right? Because I think it's not about how many arrows you shoot, right? It's about perfect practice makes perfect. And so, you know, I would just get out there and I spent a lot of time. I videoed. I set up a video camera. And I think that's something that a lot of folks should do if you don't have some, you know, a coach or somebody that can really help you through it is get up there close. And I just I just focused on executing the shot. I didn't have a target I was aiming at. Um, I was just, I was focused on watching myself execute that shot. And then I started getting back a little further and then I actually put a target in place. And, you know, and I actually gone back now to my, my finger release and I am shooting better than I ever have. But I think at some point everybody, you know, and I've watched folks in camp you know, just, you know, get that figure behind it and, whack, you know, yep. and, you know, it's all a timing game right there. And sometimes they're lucky and, and often they're not, but when they miss, I think they miss bigger. But, um, I think if you can get a coach, get a coach, you know, or at a minimum, you know, watch yourself, video yourself, have a buddy do it. And, um, really, at, you know, focus on that push, pull, squeeze that ball between your shoulders and, 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 and execute that shot, you know, and, I think you'll, you'll, whether even with a bow or a gun, you know, you, you're going to face that in some way. It's about working through it and it's a mental game, but I mean, it's really about execution, but you could try different technology, different releases, what have you. Um, but you know, I noticed when I lowered my draw weight it
1: helped me as well. Okay. That's a good tip. Yeah. That's, that's a real we good tip. I have heard before. That's yeah. We haven't heard that and that's, that's really good because everybody wants to go get that 70 pound bow and, you know, I
2: shot seventy, eighty pound bows for years in my young life, but I shoot a sixty pound draw weight right now, and and uh, I have no pain. I'm comfortable, and I truly believe that it, you know it has helped me, you know, with the execution of those shots.
0: I think you you dread pulling a bow back when it's too much for you, and I'm I'm not a big guy by any stretch, but I shot seventy pound bows for years because I thought I had to. And then I changed it up and went to a sixty, and I had, I was set at sixty-two pounds total. You know, it's cranked all the way down, and now I'm shooting a bow. It's it's at fifty-nine pounds. It's my and I I can. You've watched me. I mean, I can shoot it just bam, 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 and I think you. I almost dreaded, back in the days when I was shooting that Omen from, from PSE, which was a hammer, I killed a pile of deer with that bow, but it was a six-inch brace height, you know, set at 70 pounds. I mean, sure, it'll sling an air at 330 feet per second, but you're breaking your shoulders and doing it, and I dreaded pulling that bow back every time, and that's a that's a great tip we haven't heard before yeah. is drop that poundage down and get get comfortable with your equipment and don't dread shooting it. You can't shoot. 10 times and you can only shoot three, it probably ain't going to be that comfortable to you.
1: <laughs> hey, when you guys finish up throughout the year of deer season, do, does uh, does Mark and Terry throw you guys a big campfire or <laughs> something you may call it a, a hangout party?
2: Well, you know, not so much like that, but I'll tell you it was it, it, one of the most amazing experiences and, and things that have happened just about every year. COVID certainly change, change things over the last couple of years, but it was a jury fall meeting that always yep. occurred would have been late August. And, um, we would come together, come in on a Friday, leave on a Sunday. Um, first night was always just hanging out, getting together and enjoying, you know, seeing everyone cause we live, you know, so there is a group that lives, you know, right there out, you know, in the Missouri area, Iowa, but a lot of us live across the country, you know, and we don't get to see each other. right much if ever and you know coming together with that whole family but the most amazing part of it for many many years and we still kind of do it but not to the level we did is uh on you know we all day saturday would be meetings and camera school stuff and business and saturday evening was the jury um award ceremony and you know, they rent out a big place typically it was at dave and busters and it, you know, our producers would work day and night to produce that award show, just like the ESPYs. There were categories and nominees and, you know, and they, all the, those things had to be produced. And the winner is, you know, and yeah. you go on stage with Mark and Terry in front of all, you know, the whole group and, you know, get an award and whatnot. And, and you know, the peer recognition of, of being a part of that team, especially as you would get to win potential producer of the year. It was a big deal. And I, I'll tell you, I'll never forget the first one I went to. But, you know, throughout the years, you'd have folks like a Greg Ritz or, you know, talk, you know, folks from PSE at the time. or you know, all across the industry, Masioka would be in there saying this happens nowhere in the industry. This right. is being special. And uh, I, I cherish those times. You know, it's been scaled down quite a bit. You know, we just had our fall summit. It was more of a digital summit. But we did all get together. And, and trust me, we we work hard, play hard.
1: <laughs> and, uh, good know, way to put it. It's very good way to put it.
2: Yeah, being recognized as part of this team, it's an amazing team. Uh, still, I think, you know, best in the industry in what we do. But, um, you know, there's so much good out there. We're just happy to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. And I think that goes along with everything that the juries have continued to drive and do. And I guess the recognition goes without saying the people that are in front of the camera, but I've always liked how the jury team would build up their camera guys and make them better. And, and a prime example of that is Wade, you know, uh, Mark's longtime camera guy. Now he's in front of the camera and he's you know hammering and I think it goes along with anything you do. You pay your dues, you build your you build yourself a mindset, and Wade stuck with it for so long. And anybody that doesn't watch him from his previous years, Mark was always thankful to Wade, and he was always recognizing him. And it goes with all you guys. That's that's the cool thing to me. There's no. There's no I in there. It's always a team effort, and it's a duo, and you guys go out there and you produce it. And even with the new guys, I mean, there's new team members all the time coming on to the jury staff, and they show up, and they're always thankful for them, whether it's Terry Mark or it's, it's you, Rick, or it's Greg, and Greg and Casey's relationship that they've got, and it's you know it builds, and it goes without saying that that's one of the things that people can relate to so much.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of work and you know, especially if you're full-time doing that camera work. Um, you know, you can't imagine, you know, you've got to get up before anybody and go to bed after shooting time lapses at night and that's drone work and y- you name it and you know, and Mark and Terry and others who actually do have full-time cameramen, you know, they've acknowledged that effort and and rewarded it and it's been great to see that. Who's uh who's the one
0: guy on the team that you haven't hunted with that you want to spend, that you want to spend time with in the near future?
2: Oh man. what will put you tough. on the
0: spot there.
2: <laughs> it does, you know, uh, it's, it's such a great team. And I have been blessed to, to hunt with a number, you know, of, of the folks on the team um, across the country, you know, and there are some new players that, that I love that you know, they're spending time out West, you know, Brian Weiss and, and team, you know, keeping that Wyoming thing alive out there and and out west. You know, I've been hunting with Greg and, and Greg's really a student of the game and invested in some great ground and putting some big deer down. I love the climate tree with him. I actually haven't got, you know, I haven't got the deer hunt, you know, with uh, Mark or Terry. You know, doing something like that would be special for me you know, for sure. But, you know, I just love to hunt with as many. I've been able to hunt with John O'Dell and Dave Reisner. And, you know, obviously in the dream season days, you know, we got to get together as a team a few times and hunt. I love hitting the road with guys who are really passionate have done this a long time, know what they're doing. And and we just enjoy getting in a camp and and doing that together. I want to see...
0: And I, and I ask this question because I want, I want to see you and Sean Lundy do something together. I think oh, you two I, would. I would
2: love hunting with Lundy. Lundy and I are so much the same. Yes, y'all are. It's that the, is exactly right. And good. I think you y'all can do it. I'd love to get out there with old Lundy and, and just – just knock them over now, i don't
0: know if you <laughs> eat quite as many debbie cakes as he does because sean I told us debbie, debbie,
2: he can have the debbie cakes
0: oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, sean loves them and that's one thing we talked to him about and i but i i think that would be a duo that would be very cool to see you guys we talk about
2: it, 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 it stay tuned
1: there, there you go there you go there you go is there is there something that you haven't hunted that you want to hunt yeah, you
2: know, for me, I think anybody can. Say, I've got my dream hunts. You know, um, my my sort of big hunt I'd love to do is a bow hunt for Alaska Yukon moose. You know, Dave Kramer and I are talking a lot about that, and that that'd be a dream hunt a big brown bear. I, you know, probably I'm one of. There's only a couple of us, me and John O'Dell. But we'd love to get over to Africa with a bow. Okay. Most Most guys may not like to do that, but you know, I'd like to hunt a you know big Alaska Yukon moose, and I, I actually. I've taken one elk with a bow, but I did that before the dreary days. So getting back out there in the mountains, you know, New Mexico or somewhere for a big bull elk, you know, I'd, I'd enjoy that. I think
0: that's a, uh, a, definitely a, uh, a dream of our third team member to go yeah. hunt elk with, with a bow.
1: It, I'm, I'm trying to hit you with a couple quick questions here. Is there a favorite recipe that you have for Turkey or deer?
2: Hmm. You know, I, I love to cook. I mean, I, I'm, I love to cook, and I make it a lot of ways. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been doing a lot of uh, just taking my, my chops or back straps pounding them down thin. You know, I'm not a jalapeno guy, but if you like a jalapeno, put it in there, cream cheese, mix that up with a little breadcrumbs in there and some garlic, wrap that up, and uh, I put either a little hoisin sauce or something on the top, put it on the trigger medium rare buddy it's money
0: <laughs> and i and i know you're a fan of the of our show which is still mind-boggling to me but no, you got to go listen to the deer processing episode that we did and that one it
2: today it's it's a it's on my to-do list that I've been, one that I one been Listening to a lot of the episodes and i gotta tell you guys are you going you're doing a great job i you know i feel like i think it's important that um you know certain you know no matter what if you're in this outdoor industry it's important that you are you you have a responsibility and certainly for me for jury outdoors I don't have a last name of jury but trust me when I walk out the door I'm I'm jury right and to be a you know a steward of the industry and and to be positive influence and that's really what I want to do as long as I'm doing this and y'all are really I've really respected what you guys are doing and have really enjoyed Listening to it And now I'm going to Continue to do that Thanks for the kind words
1: <laughs> Oh Since I'm going to blush now. <laughs> Since Alex Spun off that I want to know Your favorite turkey recipe Because I got one breast Left in the freezer I got to whip up
2: Goodness I don't know that I've got anything special You know I'd also do them bacon wrap With a little cream cheese And, yep. and uh, put some Sweet baby rays on them And Throw put them, them on, on the, the Traeger Yeah I do them On the Traeger that way i tell you what I started to grind Some of my turkey you know, and put some uh, smoked applewood bacon in that, and and do some uh, you know turkey burgers that way. Really, uh, I, I've really in, enjoyed that. You know, doing it that way.
0: You see how sh- in shape he is. I hey, do he, see how he, in shape he is. He, he's he's, he's about to blow out so. that DOD shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: oh me, well um. Real real, qu- I got one more fast oh, got- fast question. Yeah, how much has DeerCast changed for you?
2: Man, i tell you, it's been great to be a part of the Drury family as if we, as we've brought that forward to light. You know, again, I, I try to be a student of the game, but let me tell you, Mark, it, Mark Drury is, for, and Terry, forgotten more than I'll ever know, right? And so to be able to watch them break down every sort of phase, if you will, and, and really, if you really delve into DeerCast, you know, and you want to know anything about the pressure, the weather, the wind, what have you, I mean, the detail is all there, the moon, And how they think, you know, you're you're literally getting to really be coached by them.
0: That's right, you know, and
2: to see where it's going, you know, into the future. uh, You know, I I just love. I trust me, it's the first thing I look at. You know, when I'm planning to do a hunt or, or travel on a hunt or get out there, you know, on, look, on some days, look, opening day, I, I looked at Deercast and said, good. I didn't care what it said. <laughs> it's going either <laughs> I, way. I thought about where I was going, but, uh-huh. you know, it truly it really is. And, and it, I think, you know, that kind of technology and insight. Plus, you know, for me, I'll be honest with you, I was sitting there on the other day watching Dream Season 8 DVD. <laughs> all that whole content's on there. I don't know if everybody knows that, but you know, watching all those shows again and all those folks, I, I've just really enjoyed it. And we, you know, I think there's good things to come when it comes to Deercast.
0: I think Deercast for for what I've watched it evolve into because three years ago I killed a great deer watching deer cast, but that deer track, let me tell you something, that
1: has been... Explain that for the people listening.
0: So deer track is... And if you
1: go back and listen to uh, Matt's episode, you'll hear it, but...
0: Yeah, deer track is an opportunity for you to place a, a dot on a deer, a crosshair. It shows where you hit it, where you think you hit the deer, and it goes into a video series showing what vitals you may have hit, and there's an expert tracker, and I'm sure you may know his name, Rick, that can give you intel and insight into how long you need to wait, what you need to do to track that deer, and where he thinks it would have hit based on that deer track system. And it's not just quartering broadside, quartering away. It is Every single angle that you could possibly imagine Mm -hmm. on that deer, and the anatomy is broken down on there in a way that you can really pinpoint. All right, if I hit him low quartering to me, he was standing like this, whatever it may be, and it will say, "Wait two hours," or it may say that deer is dead within fifty yards of where you're at, or you need to wait overnight before you go and track that deer, and. I wish, I really wish Waddy, our, our guy Cody had, had had deer track and had deer cast. He does now yeah. on his phone because he shot a great buck this year. And Nick and I both, once we figured out where he was at, we went to deer cast and looked at it and we put it together that he had hit it low quartering two and it had exited and great blood on it, but he jumped that deer and pushed it out of the country. They never found it. They called in two different dogs.
2: And there's no doubt the deer cast track is in my mind one of the most valuable parts of it and to be able to peel back you know and look at that anatomy and listen to bobby Culbertson or tracker john or somebody really walk you through it and you know i i listen to it religiously yep yeah and uh, you know and I, i've been in camp you know pulled up on guys you know and it, we have the blessing of seeing it on video right and can put that crosshair where we know it hit you know but you know it really, for those that don't, it is an invaluable tool.
1: You think about this. You think about if you shoot a deer with a bow, how many times have you shot a deer with a bow, been worried about it and call 20 different people on your phone. I hit this deer here. Where do you think it's at?
0: Yeah. And you what can if you go...
1: could pull up one app with Mark Drury to tell you.
0: Yeah. And tracker John goes in there and, and Terry and Mark and team members speak to it, but tracker John, and unfortunately for myself, I shot a deer opening weekend and I've, thought I hit it great until I watched the video back and I realized wow I made a terrible shot on this deer and I literally went on there and I didn't do it that night because I didn't want the simple truth of it but when I went (laughs) back and looked at Trapper John what he said ah that deer is going to be fine he's probably not a lethal shot and I got the deer on camera two days later showing what walking by and it wasn't a lethal shot but like you said Rick watching that camera back that's a benefit to see it is it's changed our whole mentality on hunting
2: it really has and those guys have tracked thousands and thousands of deer yep right you and i don't get to do that that's
0: right no no unfortunately we don't we don't
1: have enough time in the day (laughs) hey rick do you um share share a piece of advice with all the listeners on here it could be from life in general, hunting on the road, cameraman, whatever you want. What What's your biggest piece of advice that you would give someone?
2: You know, I, I think regardless of what you're doing, um, you may not be the. I was never the smartest guy in the in the room, and I certainly wasn't the richest guy in the room. Um, but if you have a passion, I, I would say pursue it now and work harder than anybody else. Right, because if you develop that mentality that you will never outwork me, then I, I tell you, you will be at the top of what you, what you want to do. Be the first one, you know, regard, you know, if you want to be in the outdoor industry, you want to be a cameraman, you, whatever you want to do, you know, be up, be it 110%, be up before you're told, you know, do more than you're asked, uh, work harder and, and really just strive to be the best of the best. You know, and if I think if you do that in anything in life, you're going to be successful. That's right.
1: I agree with that. Um, Rick, as we ended, as we're ending here, and I'll go back to Alex in a second, but tell us what you're most thankful for.
2: Oh, man, that's easy. Uh, You know, I'm so thankful for my family and my friends that I have around me in life. And as I said, I've got the best friends in the world from the outdoor world. Um, You know, my kids and our health, right, our good health, especially in this this world um, means means everything to me that's most important. But, you know, I think also just I thank God that, you know, I get to live in this amazing country. Amen. And, and do the things that I'm I'm able to do and the freedoms. And, you know, I, I just thank God that I, I have that opportunity. Yeah.
1: Like Rick, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, that's always the answer we're looking for, man. And I, I really do appreciate it. I thank you for the friendship that we've made over this last hour and a half of the show and uh, i look forward to talking to you many more times man i hope you have an excellent season and safe travels and wear your safety harness <laughs> <laughs> amen
2: buddy yeah i thank you all i'm humbled to, to be able to be on here i wish you all the best of luck uh be safe as well out there and uh, i look forward to, to connecting again i i could see sitting around the a turkey campfire or, or something. Turkey he said turkey out. Uh. Right <laughs> <in my laughs> <mic. laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I know when I went back to the I guess really the first time that I was able to get Rick's attention or, or, or whatever, Greg had posted, you know, who is the one guy from Drury if you had an opportunity to hunt with and and mine right off the rip was Rick because I have watched him for a lot of years with his humble approach he he reminds me a lot of the people that I grew up with, my dad, my uncle, the people that I hunted around because he brings it to the table in a way that you respect it. He doesn't. You're not flamboyant. You're not a showboat. You're not anything other. You're you're Rick, and I guarantee you, if we rolled into camp, it would be Rick from minute one till we left. And that's the one thing that I've always respected about you, and I enjoyed seeing you do. And it doesn't matter if you go and kill a 110 or a 180 this year. We're going to be rooting for you and uh, cheering you on. And I promise you're going to have to put up with me calling you. I got your phone number. <laughs> no
2: worries. I look forward to those conversations. <laughs> guys, thank you again for
0: having me on. Yep. We, we, we appreciate you. Well, uh, hey, Rick Malik, Drury Outdoors, Uh, we're going to sign off with you, and I promise I'll be in touch. Cheers, guys. See Take
2: you, care.
0: Take care, Rick. See you. Nicholas, what an
1: amazing episode. I, I really enjoyed that one.
0: I think that if, there is a, uh, if there's an opportunity for us to, to grow and do things, we say it time and time again. Talking to people like him just makes it all worth the
1: while. That's why we keep coming back, buddy. That's why we keep hitting that record button. <laughs> it's fun. It's so much
0: fun. Tonight was tonight was about getting, getting somebody that's been in the industry and been with a team that's, that we've been so fortunate enough to be able to speak with several members of. And Rick is one of those guys that I, I honestly meant that when I posted it, that Rick was the guy I want to go spend a camp with him. And I talked to him today on the phone, and I literally said – I think the biggest thing that has impressed me about you is you would invite me and Nick into a camp mm-hmm. with you, and we would sit there and we would have an amazing time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know this probably gets old to a lot of people because we ask a lot of people the same exact questions, but we want to get different opinions on whatever it may be, whether it may be Target Panic that we've talked about sixteen times already, or um, you know. But we w- heard
0: something w- new tonight. We did. We have we- never heard that We're taking each before. thing.
1: I mean, you, if you go to do something in everyday life, you're always getting opinions from someone. So. You know, and it's just, man, I, I can't thank you enough again for reaching out to him because so far, all four of the jury outdoor guys that we've talking we've talked to, man, has been absolutely amazing. And um, maybe yeah. we can maybe we can talk them into holding up a big campfire one day. I don't care if we hunt or anything; we just sit around and talk. And um, I could see it coming together, you know.
0: Yeah, and I could too. Maybe and- a
1: midway point, Sean Lundy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sean, you're right up there. Yeah, we we'll to this. <laughs>
0: And I think that that goes back to what we said in the very beginning that we wanted to meet like-minded people. We wanted to be around people that we, we are passionate about watching but that we're passionate about being around. And it brings it back to the simple fact of the matter that they're no different than us. They started from the ground and they build it up. And everyone that we talk to and that we continue to talk to has the same mentality. If you want it, Go get it. Go get it. Yep. Just go. Yep. And we continue to say that. And I just I, I get so so tired of hearing people say, you know, I don't have time for this or I can't afford to do that. You don't have it because you're not willing to make those sacrifices elsewhere to do it. And I just I don't know. It it, it doesn't make me mad. It makes me sad that that's the passion and or that that's the mindset that folks have anymore. I really I really truly hope that people would listen to this and take from it. If you want to do something, go. If you want to hunt somewhere, go. And you say, well, I can't go right now. I can't afford it. Okay. Go at a different time and start planning now for it. Because if you've got a dream, you're never going to get it. Get a goal. Make steps to get to that goal and continue to build to it. And if you make those steps and you get to that goal, I promise you'll be much more satisfied than somebody giving you something.
1: That's right. If you if everybody liked this episode and the episodes before, just go over to um, uh, Apple iTunes, scroll down, give us a review. Leave on that review who you want to. We go on there daily and try to read those things. So go on there and leave a review that says, hey, I'd like to hear y'all get so-and-so
0: on. Yeah, so-and-so on. <laughs> Whoever right. it yeah, may be.
1: Yeah, just go leave it. Because so, I
0: promise you, if you tell us, we're going to reach we're out. We're going to try them. to reach out to them in
1: some way or another. <laughs> there is
0: nobody too big for talk about it outdoors. No. We will go after anyone that you want to hear on this. Pitch show. us
1: ideas. Shoot us an Instagram message. Facebook message.
0: If you want to listen to me and Nick argue about whether turkey hunting's better or deer hunting, <laughs> we'll we'll do it for a full hour. Yes, we're both passionate about what we do, and and I promise that uh, at this time in our in our
1: juncture, we're. We're within sight, old buddy, of 100 episodes. Very close, very close. And we're closer on our year anniversary.
0: Yeah, we are. And I think we'll hit the year before we go get
1: to 100, but that's okay. It is. And I, I want to I say this again. I know we've talked about this 100 times too. If you're going deer hunting and you're listening to this, put your safety harness on. i seen a thing on the bow hunting league where one of the members is okay, but he fell out. Did you see that? I did not. Yeah, one of the members on there went to – he said, I believe he said on there, I'm going out for an afternoon set or something that in my place he always goes, it's gonna be one afternoon. I don't I can't find my harness. He went out there and gotten his lock on and both cables broke and he hit the ground. Gosh. So guys, just be safe out there. I mean it's it's you're gonna spend that much time and you wanna spend that much passion, you wanna go back home to your family.
0: If you can't afford a safety harness, yeah, call us. us, yeah, yeah. I promise we'll do something for you. If you can't, if you want to go deer hunting and you can't afford a safety harness, call me. Hit us up on Instagram. Hit us up on uh, any platform that you can find us on, and we'll do something for you. Because the the most dreaded phone call that I could ever imagine hearing from my hunting community would be one of my buddies has fell out of a deer stand. They're no longer here. They're paralyzed from the waist down. And we've had people in our community have that happen too. It's so easy. You spend $900,000, 2000 on a bow, but you can't buy a $100 safety harness, and right. it ain't even that much. No. You can buy one cheaper than that. It may not be as convenient for you. you you're you're going to be real inconvenienced <laughs> when you're laying on your back on the ground with your leg's broken, and then you can't work, and you can't provide for your family. So. That's right. Another well,
1: tangent. Don't get us started. Don't we get us started. Get it going, We're just trying to keep everybody safe out there and safe travels for anybody going out of state because... Fast approaching is a lot of the rut time. It's a Midwest
0: thing, <laughs> y'all. I'm excited. We it's going to be fun. We're getting we're getting crazy. It's crazy up in here. And we can't thank y'all enough for coming and being with us. Rick Malik, Jury Outdoors. Go follow him on social media. He is a great steward of what he's doing and uh, all the jury team. We can't thank you guys enough for continuing to be with us and support us. And, uh, hey, if you need a hat, you need a shirt, Hit me or Nick up. We'll be glad to send you one out. We'll drop that. Uh, we'll drop that line over on uh, all our social media. So, for everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you for tuning in to another great episode. Come back, and be with us again when you get a chance. And remember, smile as you go, and don't forget, mount the memories.